Friday, and here we go. Hail, hail, the gang's all here. And uh, we have uh, Susan, we have a Bob, we have a Jason, we have a Dewey. We've got all of you. We've got our rural radio network stations, and this is Midday on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Dirk Christensen. Susan, good to see your smiling face. You too. It's always nice to be in the studio. Yeah, and I see that you left your cast of... uh, Many characters. Cast of many characters behind... Yeah, since the first time since the 14th of December, I do not have a cast on. That's good. I know. It just feels weird. It feels yeah. like I left something behind. <laughs> I bet it does. And how is the writing coming along? Yeah, it's bad. Is- <laughs> it's bad. So, folks, we're just going to ask you if you would uh, step behind the line and not ask Susan for an autograph <laughs> for a couple couple of weeks. A couple yet. weeks. i got to get this all back in order. All right. Very good. I well, have to say, that looks better at you at 70% than me at 100 why, thank you. It doesn't look that bad. Oh, yeah, this is my bad writing. This I'll is my. For that. Yeah. I can only hope for that kind of penmanship. <laughs> <laughs> so let's also let's extend the argument to say uh, if you're looking for a Jason Jorgensen uh, autograph, maybe just step behind the line permanently. <laughs> yeah. Susan, what does your group have to say for itself today? Lots of weather talk. Of course, you know, we go from one extreme to another, wet to dry. We'll get more updates about what's happening with that at 1219 with Al Dutcher. 1245. It's the Next Generation in Ag Act that was introduced. Uh, A neat opportunity for beginning farmers and ranchers to get a little bit more skin in the game. So hopefully this all comes together and we'll see some newbies joining the crowd that we've got going on. Then at 117, today is a very important day in Nebraska. A lot of people don't have to work because it's Arbor Day. Mm -hmm. So Hannah will give us some updates at 117 about Arbor Day. Jay Sterling Morton, the Agriculture Secretary yep. under Grover Cleveland, was it? Yeah. Huh? Long time ago. Yes, it is. Way before any of us. <laughs> well, Bob, I'm not so sure. <laughs> I was going to ask, Susan, when's the best time to plant a tree? Not right now. This better be a joke and have a punchline. 20 Bob. years ago. Yep. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Jorgensen watched the draft last night. I saw a little bit of it. Uh, saw the end of it. Uh, there were some people really surprised that Cleveland decided to go with Baker Mayfield as the top pick. Mm-hmm. Now, there were some so-called NFL experts who were calling for this. They said the Browns had decided on him, but former Oklahoma star will try to do what many others have not been able to do, and that is be successful at the quarterback position yeah. with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, the second round will get uh, rolling tonight. We will preview that. No Huskers were selected last night. Uh, no Huskers will probably be selected tonight. It might be late into Saturday. A little droughty there. Yeah, this there may be this may be one of those drafts where no one from the Big Red is picked. Also coming up, uh, we'll talk about what's going on in Major League Baseball and Nebraska men's basketball coach Tim Miles has got himself a nice transfer, a six-four combo guard who was at Robert Morris. He'll have to sit out a year. He will have two years to play. All right. That would be a nice addition. Yeah, so some firepower down the road. Very good. I'm sorry I laughed out loud when you mentioned Cleveland. But, uh, Everyone laughs yeah. out loud. <laughs> Bob Brogan on business. Kind of a big story today. The Yest Property Tax Relief Committee announces that it's ending its drive to put a petition initiative on the November ballot. Mm. We'll have more details on that as they become available. So that's kind of a big story for yeah. the state. Also, stocks little changed, and Amazon is soaring. We'll have more on those stories later. All right. And all of this and more is coming up for you on Midday. 
We bring Paul Perkins in for a look at our ag weather here on the Midday Program, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. And in and out we go with a little spring, a little fall, a little uh, dry, a little wet. I don't know what to think. Well, overall, pretty dry for the weekend. Uh, Looks like our better rain chances starting to arrive early next week, but a big difference in our weather from two weeks ago when blizzard warnings were in effect. Now we're talking about getting in the field and maybe getting some planning done this weekend. And by early next week, it's a possibility that we'll be activating the storm center. Yes, uh, there is a possibility, probably Monday night or Sunday night, the potential of some severe storms, but it looks like by Tuesday that severe threat should be off towards our east, but thunderstorm chances are in the forecast. Our temperatures right now, upper 60s to low 70s across the area, and our temperatures today expected to be about 10 degrees warmer than normal. Winds will turn to the northwest as the front drops to the south. The drier air moving in and a possible increase in winds, fire danger could slightly increase, but mainly over those drier southwest areas. North winds will continue tonight as high pressure builds to our north. Overnight lows will be just a little cooler than seasonal tonight due to the light winds and clear skies, allowing for a rapid cool down. Easterly winds off that area of high pressure as it moves towards the Great Lakes tomorrow will cool our temperatures back to more seasonal levels, so not a big cool down on the way. A slight chance of rain in the forecast for tomorrow night with the passage of a weak disturbance. Our temperatures warm back up and south winds increase for Sunday as an area of low pressure approaches from the west. Sunday night into Thursday looking fairly unsettled with several thunderstorm chances as an area of low pressure tracks to the east. Some of those storms could be severe with hail and strong wind as the main threat. And once again, maybe Sunday night and Monday night with that front approaching the main threat for some severe weather will be on the cooler side of that front by tuesday and the best chance of thunderstorms once again on monday night but that front will sweep southeast and will be on the cooler side for the midweek with some cooler than normal temperatures in the long-term forecast temperatures for nebraska and kansas forecast to be cooler than normal the mid to late part of next week then trend seasonal to warmer than normal by next weekend through may 10th early may daytime highs in central nebraska usually average in the upper 60s with overnight lows usually in the low 40s. Our precipitation outlook expects mostly near-normal rainfall for Nebraska and Kansas Wednesday through May 10th. In the later periods, there are signs of below-normal rainfall along and north of I-80. Soil temperatures at the 4-inch depth at 7 this morning in the upper 30s in northwest and north-central Nebraska or along and north of the line from Norfolk to Broken Bow and North Platte. Most areas in central and eastern Nebraska and western Kansas with soil temperatures currently in the low half of the 40s. Some soil temperatures in the mid to upper 40s over central and east Kansas. Weather factors driving the markets include a short-term dry and mild trend in the Midwest and limited precipitation for the dry southwest plains. It will be mostly warm and dry this weekend across the Midwest to allow field work and planning progress. Field work progress in the northern plains likely to remain behind average. A round of moderate to locally heavy rain is forecast in the Midwest about five to seven days from now. That's going to be followed by some cooler weather and disrupt the field work progress. There have been only limited soil moisture improvements in the southern plains wheat areas. The best chances of some scattered thunderstorms next week looks to be in east and south central areas of the southern plains. The very dry parts of western Kansas, western Oklahoma, and the Texas Panhandle may only see a few light showers in the next 10 days. For the Delta, dry weather through early next week will favor their planning progress, but more thunderstorms expected 
in five to seven days. Ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. I'm looking at that weather map right now, warming up nicely into the 70s, some parts of the east there. And I'm looking for one cloud anywhere over Nebraska, and I am not seeing it. Yeah, pretty quiet as far as any clouds go right now. Yeah, Iowa and uh, points off towards the east, and of course a little bit of light rain and yeah. maybe some snow mixed up in Wisconsin. Yeah, nice and high and dry for the time being, and Lots of field work underway. Yep. And enjoy your weekend. Make it productive. And if you have need for weather anytime, krvn.com. More than 320,000 acres, or half the state of Rhode Island, lay scorched in the Oklahoma panhandle. I'm Shaley Peters, joining you now on the Rural Radio Network as we take a Friday look at your midday ag news. One of the things needed most by ranchers in the area now is hay. Clay Patton brings us more on the Oklahoma hay donations. Weston Givens, president of the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association, knows that in tough times, farmers and ranchers will give the shirt off their backs to help people in need. Unfortunately, back-to-back years of devastating wildfires are making hay hard to come by. We haven't seen the level of donations that we saw last year on those fires. Probably a big part of that is is from the hay side of it. The hay stores in Oklahoma just really depleted right now. I mean, every last year, everybody that had you know any hay that was carried over from the previous year or whatever, whatever they sent that out to those fire victims last year. And and then last year wasn't just an exceptionally great hay year here in the state. There's just not any excess hay in the state. So we sure haven't seen the level of donations on the hay side of it, but we are receiving cash donations. If you would like to help producers in Oklahoma, visit RuralRadio.com. There you'll find a link to donation pages. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Clay Patton. And another Ag News EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt told members of the House Energy and Commerce Subcommittee Thursday he wants to work with Congress to reform the renewable fuel standard. However, he provided few answers as to why the agency approved a recent rash of small refinery ravers. Pruitt told the committee it was important to create transparency in the market for renewable identification numbers or RINs so as to reduce fraud and to understand what drives prices. In addition, Pruitt told the committee that the EPA EPA continues to work on making E15 available year-round. Pruitt revealed yesterday that the agency has received more waiver requests already in 2018 than it did in 2017 and 2016, setting the 2018 number at more than 30. If all the waivers were granted, it would be the highest number of waivers the agency has issued in a single year. Republican David McKinley of West Virginia asked Pruitt what Pruitt could do to help small refiners who can't handle RINs costs. Small refinery companies have cited high RIN costs as a reason for requested waivers. Pruitt did not directly address why the number of exemptions have been on the rise, telling the committee transparency in the RIN market is the issue. Congress have been very helpful in providing a waiver, he said, pointing to a need to provide transparency in the RIN trading platform. The RIN trading platform is causing concern. It is our hope we can chart a path forward. What's really driving this in many respects is RIN's prices, escalating RIN's prices, and volatility in the market. And organizers of a petition drive to put a property tax relief measure on the November general ballot say they are ending their efforts on the gathering signatures. Trent Fellers, spokesman for the Yes to Property Tax Relief Committee, says they are grateful for those who've signed the petition, but... 
The committee no longer believes that their interests would be served by the initiative. He adds that the decision to end the petition drive does not mean they are ending their efforts to reduce the property tax burden. One avenue they are considering is possible constitutional amendment. In a statement released yesterday, he said, What remains clear through this process and our discussions with Nebraskans is that people across the state are committed to finding permanent solutions to both the property tax burden and the broader issue of educating education funding in the state. The voice of the people, already a significant influence on our efforts here, will continue to guide our deliberations as we determine the path forward as we work to address property taxes and education funding. That's a quick look at your Midday Ag News. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's time again this week to visit with our Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist, Al Dutcher. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. And Al, finally, seeing some warmer temps and nicer weather this past week. What is the expectation as producers get out in the field and really get after it? You're headed into this weekend and next week. The first time in a very, very long time, I feel confident enough to say that we're going to go into this weekend without much in the way of significant weather concerns. We've been dealing with what seems like one storm system after another on the weekends. And for the first time, it looks like this system that's coming in for next week is just going to be slow enough to keep most of this weekend dry. Now, there is one slight uh, area of concern, central and southern Nebraska, for a slight chance of shower activity late Saturday night into early Sunday morning, and that's if the low-level jet kicks in and we can get enough lift. But even uh, with that said, it looks to be mostly a very scattered event, and quantitative precipitation forecast for that event is less than a tenth of an inch. Then we see some very warm conditions on Sunday and Monday in advance of this big trough moving into the western United States. That's going to pump up a lot of low-level moisture from the Gulf in advance of the upper air low moving into our region during next week. So temperatures are going to move well up above seasonal normals, and we should easily be in the 70s statewide on Sunday with some low 80s likely in those warmer areas of the state southwest and south central and a much better chance for widespread 80s across at least the southern one-third of the state on Monday with mid to upper 70s across um, northern Nebraska on Monday. There is also an increasing chance for shower activity and the problem with this is is that each model run has a little slightly different solution in terms of the placement of precipitation. But the one thing we would caution folks out there is that essentially uh, from late Sunday night all the way through about Thursday, we have daily chances of thunderstorm activity with essentially Monday night, Tuesday, and then uh, Wednesday being the best chances for widespread precipitation, most likely occurring across northern Nebraska. That may leave pockets of south-central and southwest Nebraska kind of caught in that drier area or what we call the dry slot not seen as much in the way of significant moisture with even a decent chance of precipitation once again in central Kansas and points to the south so those areas of the eastern half of Kansas, Oklahoma and Texas have a respectable chance of seeing some good precipitation with some thunderstorm activity in the really drought-stricken areas of, of western Oklahoma, Texas, and Kansas. And as that system moves toward the east, of course, the northern plains, the central and eastern Corn Belt 
are likely to see a period of extensive rainfall with very heavy precipitation possible across eastern Kansas all the way in northeastward through the eastern Corn Belt. But after that system passes, really there's no significant storm activity on the horizon, so we may get a good 7 to 10 day period with mostly dry conditions after that with normal temperatures expected to maybe even slightly above normal. So it looks like conditions are improving for planting prospects. I would imagine there'll be a lot of producers out in the fields getting the planting done. So some long hours are going to be put in. So I would caution folks that are out there driving around with all the implements to take a little extra caution as people are pushing the button trying to get caught up on a lot of their spring chores. All right, thanks, Al. Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. For more, visit RuralRadio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to check sports with Jason Jorgson. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Nebraska men's basketball coach Tim Miles has added some extra firepower for down the road. 6'4 combo guard Deshaun Burke has announced he will transfer from Robert Morris to Nebraska. Now, he will have to set out next year, but will have two years of eligibility remaining. Last year at Robert Morris, he averaged 18 points and 6 rebounds per game and picked up all Northeast Conference postseason honors. Well, the NFL Draft will continue tonight with Round 2 starting up in Dallas. Last night, Wyoming quarterback Josh Allen went to Buffalo in the first round, and he talked about owning up to some of his past mistakes. I was so emotional about it just because that's not who I am as a person, and I don't want my teammates, uh, my coaching staff, thinking that's who I am. You know, it was... Six years ago, I put it on my shoulders. It happened. Uh, I was young and dumb. I made a mistake. Uh, But I've moved on. I've learned from it. And hopefully uh, my coaching staff, my teammates, opened me with uh, welcoming arms. And uh, we're going to go from there. I'm going to earn their respect every day. It was revealed earlier this week that Allen had made some offensive tweets when in high school. After going without a selection in the first round, the Chiefs will have a second-round pick and two third-round choices when the draft fires up again tonight. They are scheduled to pick number 54 overall with their first selection. Husker baseball team rallied and knocked off Nevada last night, 9-5. Scott Schreiber and Jesse Wilkening want to combine 5-10 for 10 to lead the Husker offense. The big blow for Nebraska was six runs in the seventh. They'll take on the Wolfpack again tonight in Lincoln. First pitch is set for 6:35 at Haymarket Park. And the UNK baseball team begins its final home series in school history this afternoon against Pittsburgh State. The Lopers set in fifth place in the MIAA standings and stand a good chance of making the MIAA tournament. That starts in just a couple of weeks. Cubs third baseman Chris Bryant will be missing from the starting lineup for the third straight game with Chicago hosts Milwaukee this afternoon. Bryant, if you remember, was bean during a victory at Colorado last weekend and visited a team doctor yesterday. Now the Cubs say Bryant hasn't been diagnosed with a concussion. The 26-year-old was hitting 319 with two homers and 11 RBIs in 19 games. And Purdue football coach Jeff Brom has received a two-year contract extension through 2024. School's Board of Trustees approved the deal. He was hired in December of 2016 and turned the program around in his first season at the school. The Boilermakers went 7-6 and six last year. He won the Old Oak and Bucket for the first time in five years and also won the Foster Farms Bowl. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More at Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Today, sunny with a high near 75. Tonight, clear with a low of around 38. And then Saturday, sunny once again with a high near 66. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster.
A group that wanted to put a property tax measure on the Nebraska general election ballot has abruptly ended its campaign. The Yes to Property Tax Relief Committee announced Friday it will stop collecting signatures to place the issue on the November general election ballot. Spokesman Trent Fellers says the group has come to doubt that the ballot measure is the correct way to address the issue. He says the group isn't convinced that lawmakers would effectively implement the proposal, even if the voters approve it. The ballot drive faced opposition from some lawmakers, Governor Pete Ricketts, and business groups who argued it would force the state to approve massive budget cuts or tax increases. Fellers says his group is still looking at options, including a possible constitutional amendment. Tickets are sold out for Saturday's annual key auction and dinner for the Lexington Community Foundation, but everyone is invited to come Friday evening from 5 to 8 for a key preview night reception. Event Chair Kurt Rickardson. And we uh, appreciate the, the support of, of Tom Downey and Larry Paulson uh, underwriting that, that event uh, to make that a really nice evening to let folks see the things that are, that are going on with, with the key this year. More than $3.8 million have been raised from key events held in the past 17 years to support programs and initiatives of the Lexington Community Foundation. A link to conduct online bidding can be found on the KRVN website. Senator John Keene of Hartwell decided not to seek re-election, so his District 38 seat has six candidates. District 38 includes Clay, Knuckles, Webster, Franklin, Kearney, Phelps, and southwestern Buffalo counties. Buffalo County Election Commissioner Lisa Poff says the May 15th primary will reduce the number of candidates who will appear on the ballot in November. So how it works is, um, like, for example, the Legislative District 38. It's a vote for one. So the top two contenders of votes in the primary would advance to the general. Um, again, the Kearney City Council race is also nonpartisan, but it's a vote for up to two individuals out of the listing. So the top four would move on to the general. Those in the race are Marsha Fangmeyer of Rural Gibbon, Andrew Murphy of Amherst, Michael Cones of Superior, and Thomas Osborne of Holdridge. Ron Johnson of Holdridge decided to end his bid for the office and has instead endorsed one of his competitors, David Merman of Glenville. Even though Johnson ended his bid for the office, his name will still appear on the ballot. Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations when you use our app. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Legislators have set their sights on the future with the beginning Farmer Bill. Good afternoon. I'm Shaylee Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. And we visit today with Deputy Policy Director Julie Obudzinski of the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition. And Julie, this bill was just introduced yesterday. It's the Next Generation in Agriculture Act introduced by Senators Heidi Heitkamp and Susan Collins. So let's just first start by covering what exactly this act, S-2762, is. Great, thanks. I'm so happy to be here. Um, so the Next Generation in Agriculture Act was recently introduced. Um, it is a beginning farmer platform geared towards the next farm bill. So we know that Congress has been busy working on reauthorizing the farm bill, which expires later this year. Um, so we are very, very excited that there is um, that there is a platform out there. Um, to lay out a strategy of how can the farm bill better serve the next generation of farmers. Um, it is a, a comprehensive bill that's trying to address 
what some of the fundamental barriers are for new farmers, young farmers, veteran farmers, um, folks that are trying to break into agriculture, um, and also looking at farmers that are currently in agriculture that are maybe thinking about retiring, um, looking at some of the specific barriers around land access, how do we get more land from the generation that will be retiring and successfully pass that down to the next generation to farm in the future. Now, programs have been around for a while now, Julie, that do go out to support our younger farmers and ranchers as they, as they get their start. And so part of this bill covers that and really ensures that those programs stick around, but also go into some of the other things, break it down a little bit of what this bill will do exactly for our younger producers and not just them, but maybe some of our veterans and even older producers. Absolutely. Um, so there are a number of programs that have existed for a while that have to be actively reauthorized and refunded every single farm bill. Um, so one unique thing about this bill that was introduced uh, this week, um, it would permanently reauthorize um, a program which is the only federal program that its, its main focus is training the next generation of farmers. So that program is called the Beginning Farmer and Rancher Development Program. Right now, its authorization is only on a five-year basis. So one of the important things that this bill would do is make that a permanent resource available to farmers in the future. We know that uh, the issues that new farmers are facing, um, those issues are not going away anytime soon. Um, we are going to continue and, and probably uh, depending on what happens within the larger agricultural sector, um, you can imagine that this is going to continue to be an issue that we're going to face into the future of how do we continue to transition land and assets and businesses to the next generation. So that's one thing that this would do is make that program permanent. Um, the other thing that it would do is it would actually expand the focus of that program to make sure that it's doing as good of a job training the next generation as it is transferring assets and really linking the current generation of farmers who will be retiring, um, how do we best connect them with new farmers that are going to be stepping in to fill their shoes? So let's talk timeline now. It's my understanding, is this part of the farm bill or incorporated in with the farm bill, Julie? And what are we looking at as far as maybe getting this passed and really implemented then? Yeah, so we are hoping that it will be included as part of the Farm Bill. Um, I'm sure that many of your listeners were probably following what happened in the House just recently. Uh, the House Agriculture Committee advanced their own version of a Farm Bill. Um, the Senate Agriculture Committee is going to be doing so um, very shortly, we're told, within the next month or so. Um, so Congress is, is actively working on trying to pass a new farm bill and at least on the Senate side is still drafting what is going to be included in their version of the farm bill. Um, so part of, part of our hope for this legislation is that the ideas that are put forward in this bill ultimately become part of the new farm bill. Um, on the House side, there was funding for some of these programs. There wasn't the funding levels that we think is needed. Uh, there wasn't the permanent reauthorization that we were looking for to ensure long-term investments in the future in these programs. Um, so we will be looking for a final bill that hopefully includes a lot of the pieces that, that were included in this bill that was introduced. And finally here, Julie, I know you guys obviously coming out in support of this, but uh, along with some other groups, really a, a nice showing of support for this bill for our younger farmers and ranchers. Yeah, so we worked uh, with the, the sponsors 
um, to, to provide feedback, and certainly these are things that we hear from the National Sustainable Ag Coalition. We have members all across the country, and a lot of them work with farmers on the ground. Um, so the pieces in this bill really do speak to the, the barriers that we've been hearing from our members. Um, the National Young Farmers Coalition and um, FFA, Future Farmers of America, they're also endorsing this bill. Um, Farmers Union, a lot of other folks uh, have, have lent their support behind the pieces in this bill, which we really think um, do address some of the fundamental issues that we see from farmers that we speak with. Deputy Policy Director Julio Budzinski with the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition joining us today as we visit about the Next Generation in Agriculture Act. Of course, for more on this and what exactly is included in the bill, you can head on over to RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Cattle futures were kind of in a listless trade until cash cattle markets got going in uh, the South Plains area. To talk more about this, Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe. Yeah, pretty good uh, trade ending up with 124 to 125, uh, which really ignited the market. We had uh, quite a few triple-digit gains in the, in the live cattle led by the June obviously uh, taking over on uh, Tuesday as the lead option and at a uh, $17 discount uh, plus, and uh, that really ignited the June. So the cattle really uh, led by the June on on that news didn't hurt the April contract at all, but uh, uh, with its triple-digit gains, but uh, very uh, good uh, buying showing up. That and in the feeders also. When you throw in the cutouts up sharply at noon, that uh, certainly didn't help anything. And we did. We were very lethargic in the first uh, hour or so, a couple of hours. And uh, when things started to uh, heat up with uh, the trade beginning to really uh, get underway, and it didn't really happen until late in the session. The hogs, on the other hand, not so good. Uh, Triple-digit losses there. Uh, cash does not did not seem to be very uh, positive, despite the fact that the cutouts were up sharply at noon. Uh, it just didn't didn't happen. We got a lot of selling uh, taking place, taking a lot of the premium out of the uh, futures. But um, for the week, uh, the cattle and the feeders finish higher, and the uh, hogs finish lower. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Reporting from Nebraska Innovation Campus on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Hannah Borg. Today is National Arbor Day, and I caught up with Rusty Dawkins, Social Media Manager for the Arbor Day Foundation, to learn more about Arbor Day and the celebrations happening within Nebraska. Founded in 1872 by Jay Sterling Morton uh, in Nebraska City. Now, the reason he did this was because when he moved to Nebraska, there were no trees here. I mean, just nothing. It was just kind of a desolate prairie, and he really loves trees. So he decided to uh, start what he called Arbor Day, and it was estimated that on that first Arbor Day, on April 10th of 1872, one million trees were planted in Nebraska on that first day, and that's just where it it got its start, and uh, we've been going strong ever since. All throughout the week, Rusty and the Arbor Day Foundation have been on a Tree Campus USA Facebook Live tour as Arbor Day isn't specific just to Nebraska. We started on Monday 
and our first stop was in South Carolina. We went to Furman University, and then we uh, our second stop was on Tuesday, uh, still in South Carolina, USC Upstate, the uh, University of South Carolina Upstate there. And then we uh, kind of moseyed our way up north to Michigan and went to Ann Arbor, and then we made our way to Kent State, which is in Ohio, and then we're ending today uh, at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln. Now, the reason we're hitting all of these particular schools, there's a reason behind it. This Tree Campus USA started 10 years ago, and all five of these campuses that we're uh, visiting, including one in Lincoln, uh, they were there at the very beginning. It's their 10-year anniversary. So that's why we chose them in particular to visit, to plant some trees, to uh, tour the campus, to do a bunch of social media for these uh, campuses uh, and their Tree Campus USA. Uh, so it's been really fun. It's been a good time. I've been to a different state almost every single day, uh, but now I'm back home in, in Lincoln and we're going to be celebrating Arbor Day at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln. On the UNL campus, there were two tree plantings, one on city campus and one on east campus to help people learn more about Arbor Day and planting trees. We like to gather as many people as possible at these different campuses and teach them how to plant their own trees. So we just do one and we have a trained uh, certified arborist who is there and shows uh, everybody exactly how to plant a tree, especially uh, people in college. You know, they don't really have a home yet, but this is information that they can take with them when they buy their first home. They're going to remember this and go, okay, I remember how to plant a tree. Let's do that in our own backyard. When asked about the importance of Arbor Day, here's what he had to say. It cleans your water. It, uh, it cleans the air that we breathe. Uh, it makes it more appealing to be in a place. The more trees there are in a particular neighborhood or a particular port, port, portion of the city, it's been found that that's a deterrent to crime. So, I mean, it's just there's so many good things that come out of trees, and they're, they're a connection to people in general. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that will plant a tree when they have a child or when they lose a loved one or they get a pet or, you know, it, anything. And it's just kind of a connection to a portion of their life, and they're able to watch it grow and get bigger, and it's just... Uh, it can be devastating when, when a, a tree is lost, and so they want to plant another one. And it just becomes kind of part of who people are. And not only does it help the environment and, and help everything else, it, it, it's, it's kind of fun uh, to watch trees grow. So that's, that's why we're, we're into this business. That's why we uh, in, uh, do what we do, because we think it's so important. If you want to learn more about Arbor Day, here's where you can go. You can go to our website, that's arborday.org. Uh, we also have uh, a great tool that we put together just for today, just for Arbor Day. It's called celebratearborday.com. So those two places are your best bet, the arborday.org or celebratearborday.com. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Hannah Borg. Well, pretty good rally in the grain markets today. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. So for the week, we're going to probably finish higher in corn and soybeans and, and especially wheat, aren't we? Yeah, high of the week for wheat. So the close of the week, we were three-quarters of a cent off the high of the week, um, really back to where we were on, on Thursday night. So everybody who wanted to buy Thursday night's open got squeezed out, a push down to 510 and right back up to these levels. Uh, today was one of those days, and I know it's beautiful out there. You can kind of wish we could put it in a box and, and save it for, for when things are down because really finally you're starting to see things move the farmer's way. You guys are playing out that way, which is good for folks on the production side, and prices are really starting to go, uh, led by I think the livestock sector is, is – 
showing some bullish signs of the upside. Crude oil, obviously, but now corn and wheat following as beans uh, closed on its highs as well. It, it's just one of those markets right now that feels like it's it's getting ready to go. The option costs are starting to go up for the out-of-the-money calls, which tells me the trade may be getting a little nervous on, on production as well. So going into next week, really not a whole lot to talk about from a newsful perspective. We'll still watch the weather, um, and it'll be preparing for the WASDE report in the middle part of the following week where we'll get a lot of updates, uh, wheat, wheat numbers, You'll get the uh, the South American corn update numbers, and uh, and then as well as uh, you know continued planting progress that uh, should should pick up here. Well, looking at percentage gain, I think soybean meal led the way, and there's got to be some factors behind that. Yeah, the, so delivery is upon us, and and you know as my as I've been saying with you for years now, watch the market and how it trades into delivery. It'll give you a lot of clues about really who wants the physical. And today, with one day before first notice day, you had May May soybean meal up twelve dollars per metric ton, about three and a half percent. Was up four percent at one point. And uh, as we always talk about, as meal goes, tends the soybean complex to follow. I look for beans to continue to push here, maybe trade upwards of ten sixty next week. Uh, to get through that, we probably need. You know some data first, but uh, uh, things are shaping up right now, Dewey, for a good run here in prices. I look for corn to break through four dollars on July at some point in the, in the coming weeks, and and look for that December price to make a push up into the four twenty four thirty, and then I think four dollar cash comes into the kind of lexicon for folks out your way, and I think that's where we'll hold until the summer rally takes us higher. Thanks for the information, John Payne, senior marketing analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to Daniel's Ag Marketing. Dot com. So we finished the day about eight and a half to ten and a half higher Kansas City wheat, Chicago wheat eight to fourteen higher, even Minneapolis wheat came back to close higher. Soybeans up seventeen. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.